You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. We are currently in a series called Covered in Dust, a journey through the book of Matthew, looking at the life, ministry, and relationship that Jesus had with his disciples that would later bring the kingdom of heaven through normal, everyday people. Thanks for joining us. So uh, Brian Flora, if you guys know him, he came to a men's lunch one day, and he was literally covered in dust. I gave him a pat on the back, and sawdust came off of him. And I said, man, you're just living out the series. I'm really proud of you. Uh, but what this means, and the video kind of described it, but being covered in dust is an Old Testament language type of deal in, in, the, uh, in the Jewish faith that when somebody wanted to become a rabbi, they would follow a rabbi around, and they would be so close that the dust that came off of their robes and their sandals and all kinds of stuff would fall on them. That's how close they wanted to follow. And so in this series, what we're wanting to do is be just like the disciples. And that's what we're looking at, is looking at the journey of the disciples and hopefully seeing how closely they followed Jesus so that we can do the same thing, go out into the world, and hopefully make the same impact that the disciples made, but do it here in Greenville. Start that, I just want to um, tell you guys a quick story. So my mother-in-law is here today, Holly Starnes, and she's like a rock star down in kids' ministry. And uh, I love her to death. She is a, I consider her not just my mother-in-law, but a dear friend. Like, we're pretty close. And a lot of people have come up to me and said, you guys look really close. And it's because we are. But it's a funny story why we're so close. So when I first started dating Emily, I think it was in, like, January of, like, 2015. And um, I was telling Emily that I had this, this toothache in the back of my mouth. And if you know uh, Mama Starnes, which is what I call her, if you know Mama Starnes, she is a mama. And so uh, Emily goes and tells her mom, like, hey, Timmy's having these tooth issues. You know anything that he could do? And, you know, I would put Aura gel in my mouth and whole nine yards. And uh, she said, well, why don't you go to the dentist? And I was like, well, you know, I don't have any health insurance. I don't have any money. It's not a big deal. I'm just going to move on and not deal with it, you know, like a typical man would. Like, it's, my tooth hurts. It's fine. I'll put some ice on it or something. And so uh, she says, well, I'm going to take you to the dentist. So she comes and picks me up one day. And we go to the dentist, and, and what that one dentist appointment turned into was two months' worth um, of appointments where she would pick me up at least once or twice a week, and we would go to the dentist. And what this resulted in was four cavity fillings, um, two wisdom teeth being yanked out of my mouth, and a root canal, which is where the tooth pain came from. So as you can imagine, me and Holly uh, got really close really fast because... Um, not only did she see me uh, when I was younger, but she saw me under a lot of anesthesia and uh, probably heard a lot of really weird things. But, but it was nice because she, she bought me Frosties and she'd buy me meals. She just mothered me so well. Um, but I bring that up because as, as I was thinking about this, this sermon I'm going I'm to talk about today, had she not taken the time uh, to invest in my mouth <laughs> to say, hey, you need to go see a dentist, uh, I would have lost a tooth. Um, my wisdom teeth would have been cramming my, I mean, I would, I would have had a ton of issues right now. And I went in just looking for a filling, and what I came out with was, was all this work done, but my mouth feels great. I'm in a great spot now, and I'm so thankful for it. But in similarity, uh, I just want to put this line up here. It says, we the church, us right here, and I'm not talking about the outside world. I'm talking about the church, the body of Christ. We the church can walk around with hidden and unknown brokenness within our souls. We can, we can carry on our lives and carry on our, our, our worship even, and our time in prayer, and our time in devotion. And we're not addressing brokenness within us because we don't know that it's there. And just like me with my tooth, uh, I didn't know that I needed a root canal. I thought I had a chipped tooth, and they were going to come and just put that cement stuff in there and fill up my tooth. But that's not what happened. He said, oh, you need a root canal. And he said, had you come to me later, you would have lost this tooth. 
And that's a big deal because I don't want some hole in my tooth back there. It'll look funny. But, but outside of that, our souls are so much more serious that we actually can walk around and have brokenness going on. And brokenness isn't just, as some of us might think, oh, well, I, I get a little too snarky with my friends. Maybe I'm too sarcastic. Or, or maybe, uh, you know, if I go and have a drink with my friends, I drink too much. That's not a big deal, right? Or if I'm cross with my wife, like, that's not too bad, right? That's not too sinful. But that, that's just a result of actual brokenness that's going on inside. I had pain in my mouth, but that was just a result of an infection going on in my gums. Does that make sense? And I think being the church, and even being a Christian myself, I, I remember when I was a kid, I think I've told you guys a story, but I got saved three times, got baptized three times. And you would think by the third time, I was like, man, I'm good to go. But, but I, I remember getting saved for that you know, third and final time, Trinitarian. I just wanted to be whole was all. Um, but I remember getting saved that last time and, and just feeling in myself like, oh, well, I'm good now. Because the blood of Jesus covers my past sin, my present sin, my future sin. So I'm good. I don't need fixing anymore. I'm fixed. I think a lot of us can feel that way if we're being honest, that we walk around just thinking, no, I'm good. I'm a follower of God. If I mess up, like, there's grace, right? There's forgiveness. Everything's fine. And that's partially true. And, and, and I wanted to, to look at some scripture real quick so we can sort of ground ourselves in this idea. But this is Ephesians 1, starting at verse 7. It says, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. So through his blood, he's brought us out of darkness and into light. He's brought, brought us out of separation and into family. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Which if you know the riches of God's grace, what? It's abundant and it's unending. You can't go any deeper than the depth of God's grace. That he lavished on us means he, he, he recklessly poured it out on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. So all that's saying is just, yes, there's redemption, redemption in the blood of Jesus. There is no more separation. We are together with him. The sin is forgiven. We're good to go. But it doesn't stop there. This is what 2 Corinthians 3 says. But when, when, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. If you guys are familiar with, with the Old Testament, there was a veil in the temple that separated us from God, that man couldn't pass through this veil because his holiness and his perfection and our brokenness would, would meet and we would die. We'd be obliterated in the presence of a holy, perfect God. But it says now when everyone turns to God, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and you guys know this, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory contemplation. We're not like in the Lord's glory, perfectly, holy, fully. We're contemplating, we're processing it, we're working on it, we're building up to it, we're walking towards it. Are being transformed, we're being changed, formed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And the truth is the Spirit resides within us. He's, the Spirit inside of us sanctifies us and grows us and changes us to look more like Christ. This is what Romans 8 says. You, however are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. So that's very repetitious, but all it's saying is like the Spirit lives within us, 
Because of the blood of Jesus and the resurrection, we now have access to God through the Spirit within us. But that Spirit's job isn't just to make you feel bad about sinning. That Spirit's job is to to grow you and to change you and to sanctify you. So the truth is, even though we become Christians, Paul says that we're like infants now. Jesus said we're being born again, right? So now we've been born again. And and my daughter just figured out how to walk, and she's like a year and three months old. It takes a long time just to know how to walk and say words. It's just like that in the spiritual. None of it's different. So here's kind of the the bad news, all that to say. This is sort of the, the downer. Even in our new life found in Christ, we can be used to walking in brokenness, so much so that we consider it normal. That's kind of scary, right? Like we can get adjusted to taking the responsibility off and putting it on God, which, which he does through the cross and he does through his blood. But we just walk around, we do our day to day. And again, we do our devotionals and we do our prayers and we sing our Hillsong songs. And we, keep, we just keep moving and grooving. But the problem is, is that God just got into this house, right? If our heart is a home, Paul talks about our, our heart being a home. It's, like, it's not like Jesus walked into a, a nice, bougie, downtown uh, apartment when he walks in, okay? The electricity doesn't work. It needs a new paint job. The floorboards are squeaky. It's dirty. This house is a dump that he walks into because we were dead before we met him, right? We're alive now in Christ, but he's walking into every room and turning every light on, and some of the lights aren't working. Some of the doors are locked. And so our job and, and our relationship with him, just like a marriage, just like a friendship, is like over time you're building it with relational equity. You're building it and you're building trust and you're, you're building uh, grace and kindness to, towards one another. And Jesus is doing the same thing. He's coming in and he's wanting to open these doors, but we can just think, I just gave him the keys to the house, so that's all he needed, right? But he wants so much more than that. Does that make sense? These, these little dark parts of ourselves, these, these small, I said it earlier, but like maybe, you know, being super sarcastic, right? Hurting people's feelings, but I'm just messing around. Or being envious of somebody. If, if, if you've been single for years and years and years and you see people who are married and it ticks you off. Or someone tries to approach you about something in your life that's going on, right? And you get super defensive and you're like, throw a punch at somebody. These aren't just normal things that that God wants for your life. These aren't normal things that he intended for you when he gave you the keys to the kingdom. Because in the kingdom, those things don't exist. In the kingdom, affairs don't exist. In the kingdom, addiction to pornography doesn't exist. In the kingdom, alcoholism doesn't exist. So if we're seeing those things in our lives, these little bits of brokenness, we have to really take a deep look, a deep inventory, and say, is this really what he intended for me? Is this really what he wanted? So all that bad news, here's the good news. (laughs) Jesus came with the only divine authorization to forgive sin and heal brokenness. And and that's what I'm saying. I I tried to put Orogel in my mouth, right? I remember that. Like, literally, there was a a hole in my tooth, and I was trying to, like, put Orogel in it because my tooth hurt so bad. And I just had to keep reapplying, you know? I had to keep putting the Orogel on over and over every single day, multiple times. It was awful. I hated it. But it wasn't until I went to the dentist that I didn't feel pain anymore. It went away. So Jesus is the dentist in this analogy. But we have to find the infection, find the root of the problem, the brokenness within us, and take it to him. Because he's the only one who has the power to fix it, to make us new. All right, we're going to get into the passage here. This is Matthew chapter 9. This is a part of our Covered in Dust series. This is verse 1, Matthew 9. 
Jesus stepped into a boat, and he crossed over and came to his own town. I'm going to pause right there. I'm not going to take too long on this, but Jesus says uh, in another passage that a prophet isn't welcome in his own home, and we're going to see just how that turns out right here. Verse 2, some men brought him to a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. So this is the first time so far in Matthew that Jesus looks at a man and he doesn't say get up and walk, but he says, hey, your sins are forgiven. Obviously, the Pharisees are hanging out in the background, but this is the first time that Jesus has taken his own authority to heal um, not just someone's physical ailment, but their, their heart ailment. He's coming forgiven sin for the first time. This is a really big deal. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, because Jesus is a mind reader, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So like I said, this is, a, this is a really huge deal. So like the Pharisees really show their true colors. You know, we talked about the, the brokenness showing its ugly head. This is the Pharisees, like the pride and the, and the knowledge and the information coming out from within them when he goes, hey, your sin's forgiven. And they're like, hold up, man. That's my job, you know? It's like someone coming in, like Oliver's saying, hey, buddy, we're just going to do uh, like recordings for worship. We don't need you anymore. It's easier. We don't have to spend so much time setting this stuff up. We're just going to play a CD. Like, it's just like, wait, what? This is what I've been doing, what we've been doing for hundreds and hundreds of years. What do you mean you, just can, you can just say that this guy's forgiven? It doesn't make any sense. But Jesus, he's saying, hey, I can do both, man. Like, I can heal physically, and I can forgive sin, because he has the divine authorization. That word authorization is very businessy. It's very professional. But it's not just that he has the authority to heal, because prophets have the authority to heal Random guys could come in who are anointed by God, could come in and heal something and make anything happen. But he says, I have the authority to come and forgive sin. Does that make sense? He has the divine authority, not just a human authority given by man. So here's a couple of lines I want to share with you just to give a little more context to what we're talking about. So where the Pharisees forgave sin through a process, Jesus forgives sin through his presence. So what that means, this... this is all covered. If you want to go read it on your own, I would encourage you because it's very helpful. But Leviticus chapter 4 and 5, I'm not going to read these two chapters because they're really long. This is the, the summary of these two chapters for the Pharisees. So if, so if somebody needed sin forgiven, unintentional sin, this is just, un, like, I sinned on accident. I didn't do it on purpose. This was on accident. Unintentional sin required bringing a specific animal to a specific place, holding it a specific way, killing it a specific way, using the blood spilled in a specific way, handling its insides in a specific way, and then burning the remains a specific way. And that's just for a priest who sins on accident. It was an entire process. You messed up, like you, you cussed on your breath when you stumped your toe, like, all right, buddy. Here we go. We're heading to the temple to do all this stuff. It's insane. And there are completely different processes for the unintentional sin of the congregation, unintentional sin of leadership, and the common people. Then there's a process of a guilt offering. So, like, I'm aware that I sinned, and I need a guilt offering. There's a whole other process that's just as long. Oliver was helping me think about this. And I don't know if you guys have ever gotten a ticket, and then you try and go fight the ticket. 
I'm a very impatient guy. I just pay the ticket. I'm not showing up. I don't want to stand in line. I don't want to get in front of a guy and be like, yes, I messed up. Like, I don't want to sit there and own my mess ups. Like, I'm like, bro, I'm just going to pay the 75 bucks. Like, I don't want to deal with this. But it's a process, right, to go get a ticket, like, just lowered by 25 bucks. I don't want to go do that. But what's even better is, is compare that. So instead of doing that, what if the cop just showed up, pulls you over, he's about to hand you your ticket, and some guy steps in, says, hey, man, don't worry about it, I got it. That's Jesus. He just takes the ticket. You don't have to go to court. He's going to go to court. He's going to stand in line and listen to those really unemotional, mean people. I just want him to smile. That's all I want, you know? When I come up with my ticket, hi, I'm here to pay a ticket. What's your name? Like, they're just, is it me? <laughs> um, so it's his presence. It, the, the Pharisees had a process. There was a whole thing that gave them the power. But Jesus comes in, takes their power, and he's just there, and he just says, your sins are forgiven. That's it. I would be pretty ticked, too. I'd be pretty frustrated as a Pharisee. I, I get it. Here's another one where the Pharisees failed to heal through obligated, here's a churchy word, penitence. Jesus is able to heal through his authorized power. That word penitence, is a, it's a very old churchy word. And it's just the action of feeling regret or remorse. It's not just feeling regret, it's the action of feeling regret. I don't even know what that means. But somehow you have to be so deeply saddened and deeply convicted by your sin. That's your penitence. And in the Catholic Church, that's what you do. It's like, if I can feel bad enough, if I can do this exercise hard enough, I'll be forgiven my sin because it, it, it feels that bad to me. I realize just how guilty I am. And the Pharisees would have that. There was a process. It, it, even if you were lame and paralyzed where you had to do this thing, or, or if you were mourning, you had to throw ashes on your head and rip your shirt and do all these things just to show remorse. And it didn't even lead to healing. It doesn't matter how, how hard you apologize. It doesn't matter how bad you feel. You're not even guaranteed you're going to be forgiven. But Jesus comes and he's able to heal through his authorized power. That's the whole, in a wedding, by the power vested in me, by the state of South Carolina, I now pronounce you, blah, blah. That's all you need, and that's all he had. He came in just with his authorized, here's my card, I'm going to get in now. And with one sentence, he forgives sin. Under the divine authority of Jesus, the hurt will always lead to the healing. And that's what I want to talk about today, that that for, you have to think about this paralytic. It, I'm saying how easy it was for Jesus, but you have to think about how difficult it was for this paralytic and his friends. The paralytic was a man who's shunned and, and isolated because he, he has a deformity, because he's not perfect. So his family leaves him. He has no job. He has no home. But yet he has these faithful friends who bring him to the feet of Jesus. It had to be painful for the whole party, right? Like, just to even show up at Jesus' feet, who's a rabbi, considered by people a rabbi, just like the Pharisees. You don't dare come before the Pharisees if you're unclean, if you're broken in that way, mangled. You, you don't come and do this. So it was painful to come and get the forgiveness. But he did it anyway, and what he found at the end was forgiveness of sin. He didn't find healing, at least not yet. We're going to get there in, in a minute. But he found forgiveness of sin. He found Unity back with God. That process isn't always easy. It's easy to come and ask for prayer for sickness, right? The sickness stinks. Don't get me wrong, but like it's, it's easy to come and say, can you pray that I would find healing? It's not 
It's not easy to confess your porn addiction, right, to your wife. I'm not saying it's any of us in here, but I'm just saying that's the gravity. That that's what Jesus wants to talk about. He sees the faith of these men to go against what other people think, to go against what other people would, would give advice for. And he sees their faith. That's what it says. He sees their faith and says, your sins are forgiven. Faith is found not when we're getting some pad band-aid from Jesus, but it's when he goes deep into the root of the infection, pulls it out, shows you what it is, and tells you how to move forward. Because he's the healer. Amen? I think some of us here today, we're, we're, we're carrying brokenness. I really do. And I think we're afraid that Jesus either can't heal us or he doesn't want to. This couldn't be farther from the truth. The, the healing begins when we, like the paralytic and his friends, recognize our hopeless brokenness and that Jesus is the only one with the divine authority to heal us. It's like I said about the Origel, guys. Like I, I kept putting it in, but it, it never did the trick. But when I went to the dentist, I came out with a new tooth, basically. They went and took out the infection, put a cap on it. I feel great. My tooth's great. Jesus does the exact same thing. He wants to come in and show you, hey, hey, buddy, you need a root canal. You don't need a cap. You need a root canal. Let's get it out. And y'all, it was painful. I sat in a chair for like two and a half hours watching Sports Center. But it was so, it hurt so bad. But when I was done, I was so grateful for them digging out the infection. So this, this morning is just going to be broken up into two parts. And I hope that at the end of this, this sermon that you guys would be able to walk away doing these two things. First of all, I want us to recognize our brokenness. Recognize our brokenness. And uh, the second thing I want to do is help us uh, receive the, the divinely authorized healing that only Jesus can bring. Because it's not enough just to say, hey, this is what's wrong with me, but taking it to the feet of Jesus and saying, can you fix it? Because no one else is going to fix it. No counselor, no pastor. Jesus is. He can use other people. He can use other things. But he's the one who has the, the authorization, the right, and the power to heal you. So a lot of you guys have probably heard these three words. Uh, this is uh, what psychologists would call stress response. And we probably all talked about this amongst ourselves. But it's always something that's been fascinating to me. But there's three words that fall into this stress response. And it always falls into the physical way we get stressed. So if you're about to get mauled by a bear, or if you see a car coming at you, or if someone has a knife or a gun in front of you, this is your stress response. What your body will naturally move into before you meet your demise, <laughs> or, or whatever you're going to do in that, that, that make-or-break situation. These are three words. You guys have probably heard them. These are the three things. Uh, some people will stand and fight. So what that means is, like, if a guy comes at a gun, your stress response is, I'm just going to turn into the Hulk and, and go hard and hope I make it out. That's what standing and fighting is. Um, then there's take flight. So I'm out. I'll see you later. She gone. I'm deucing out. Whatever. You flee. And then there's the last one, which is just freeze, which that's the mauled by a bear. When people say when a bear's coming, a lot of times people just, you just turn into like a doorpost and you just don't want to move because you, you're just frozen in fear. Like you can't do anything. You're so stressed out. Your body physically will not move, which is crazy. It's not like you're choosing it, but like your body, like your arms will just start swinging. You're so, you're moving into stress response. And so I was studying this because those are the three words I thought of. And I was like, okay, well, that's physical stress, but like emotional stress and mental stress. And Psychologists attribute it to the same thing, that when you're under emotional pressure, stress in your brain and in your heart, 
you will move into these three forms of stress response. And I'm using this as an example because I think even in my personal life, one of the, the first times I ever saw this was when I got married and my wife came to me and said, hey, this is something I saw earlier, kind of like, I don't understand, you kind of talk to me funny. I'm the fighter, I'm kind of like, get out of my face, man. Don't tell me what I'm doing wrong. I'm ready to get in an argument and defend myself. And then at the end of it, she's like, what was all that? I was just trying to. But it's the same thing for us as humans within our human nature and our emotional nature that we will do one of these three things. So we're going to have a little fun this morning. I'm going to do a little thing, uh, a little character study, okay? So there's going to be the Pharisees. We're going to talk about Peter, and we're going to talk about John, who's two of the disciples that were in this, in this scene. But we're going to kind of talk about their journey moving forward from this moment. So let's start with the Pharisees. These are the fighters. I said that earlier. These are like the defensive, uh, like, what'd you say to me? No, man, you're not doing it right. These guys are self-made, they're self-sustained, and they're self-focused. When it comes to brokenness, fighters will hurt whoever they need, whoever they need to hurt that gets in the way of protecting their own as long as they can continue to cover the woundedness. So fighters is like, bro, you're not going to tell me what's wrong with my marriage. Dude, you're not going to tell me about my alcohol problem. And you're not going to tell me about how I don't communicate. Dude, back off. And we'll see those things. I talked about sarcasm earlier. That's sarcasm right there when people are like, oh, like you're just trying to hurt people? It's like, look, man, why are you always trying to start a fight? Right? Those are fighters. I'm that kind of person. I've had to deal so much with that. The Lord's had to work inside my heart so much because I've been super sarcastic in, in, in my, my youth, my young days, when I would just like be mean to people for no reason or pick on people. And that's that fighter mentality that if you're going to come towards me, if I feel threatened at all, get your fists out, man. We're going to take this outside. And we see it in that verse, verse 3. It says, at this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow's blaspheming. And they did it in their own heads, right? They didn't say it out loud. They're like, whatever, man, he's blaspheming. And Jesus is like, I heard that. <laughs> some of us are so used to fighting because of how we were raised, the relationships we've been in. We don't even realize that we're fighting against the one who comes with a sword as well, but his sword is to protect us, not afflict us. We're, we're so eager to fight people in our relationships. I fight my wife, you know, when she's just trying to help. And that's a reflection of how we are with Jesus. Because if I see her like she's against me, then I see him as against me. And it is how we're brought up. It's, it's the relationships we're brought up in, man. Look, like, I grew up in a family where, like, fighting was normal. Yelling, throwing plates, and Lord knows what else is around. I'm used to it. And so how did I handle conflict as I grew up? Throw plates, specifically plates, no. But like just throwing things, I'd get mad, I'd get angry, I'd yell, I'd scream. I'm ready to fight, man. Because I thought that solved problems. But it caused more problems. Instead of taking a step back and submitting to what's going on, what's really going on, the root issue of an argument, I was ready just to fight the external instead of the internal. I wrote down, if, if any of you are Enneagram people, I wrote down that style eights can be this way in unhealthy ways. <laughs> I was reading about it, and it came up, and it said, if you're a style eight, this is you. And I was like, I'm a style nine. So next, we're going to have Peter. So Peter, as you guys know, I, I almost gave Peter the fighter word because, like, he cuts a guy's ear off, you know, and he's the first one to, like, be ready to be on Jesus' back. But when it really mattered, when the stress came, right, when the stuff hit the fan, what does he do when Jesus is being crucified? He runs disappears. We don't see him anymore. He's gone. He's a runner under stress. Runners will flee at the slightest hint of a threat. We become reclusive, isolated, and almost passive in our response, all to keep away from conflict. 
Though it didn't happen in the scene, we know later that though he cuts a man's ear off, what it really, when it really mattered, he, he disappeared. And that's what he did. He, he isolated himself from the one who mattered. He isolated himself from community. He isolated himself from people speaking into his life that would make sense. And we can do the same thing to hide our own brokenness. We'll fight to protect the brokenness so we don't have to talk about it. But when it comes up, we also will run away from it. We'll leave to get away from the brokenness that's going on with them. We'll leave to get away from the problems that are going on in our marriages and our relationships with our parents and with our kids and our coworkers, our addictions, our issues. We'll run away so that I don't have to deal with it and we'll just manage it. But that causes chaos, causes more brokenness, creates more wounds, more separation. So the last one is John the Frozen. This isn't like Han Solo Frozen, if you guys have seen The Empire Strikes Back. John the Frozen didn't get, and get cryogenically frozen, but when it mattered to him, when, when he was there at the feet of Jesus at the cross, and not that he could have done anything, it was all in the Father's will and in his plan, but what did he do? He froze up. He's silent. The entire time Jesus is getting tortured and then crucified, he's quiet. Doesn't say a word. Which we could say, oh, it's meek, man, that's humble. He knew the Father had a plan. Maybe. Or he froze. He didn't want to move. He couldn't move. And again, like a lot of us can, some of us in this room, we're like that as well. We're, we're just going to freeze up. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to pause. Awkward turtle my way out of this one. Those who freeze when threatened oftentimes will become apathetic and cold. We become desensitized to the events going on around us that we are no longer affected, causing us to shut down, become alone, and miss opportunities to grow in ourselves and our relationships. Guys, this is something that, that I, I see in my, in my own family, I see in people around me, but like there's these people who are like super apathetic and disconnected. You ever get that vibe from people? It's like, man, this guy just doesn't want to talk. He doesn't want to open up. Almost abrasive, similar to a fighter, but, but it's more so like nothing phases me. I don't care about anything. All because we're not going to even touch what's really going on, the rooted, deeply rooted brokenness that's going on in our heart. Does that make sense? These three either fought, ran, or shut down all due to inner brokenness, the brokenness that led to mistrust, fear, and ultimately regret. So I want to ask you guys, where do you find yourself this morning? If you had to fall into one of these three categories, and, and I, I don't want to put labels on people, I know that that's super annoying. That's why a lot of people don't like personality tests, right? Because don't call me an ENFP or whatever, like, I am who I am, and I grow and I change. And that's true, we do, but if you were to look, I mean, look at the little things. Look at your marriage. Look at your boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. Look at your relationship with your kids. Look at how you handle conflict. If someone comes to you with an issue or a problem, how do you respond? How do you react? What do you do when life is stressful? What do you do when work, things get crazy and you're under stress? How do you respond? Look at your tendencies. Look at the things that maybe you're addicted to. Look at the kind of... The things you wouldn't talk about in this room, what do those things have to say about how you're responding to, to brokenness that's going on in your life? Just take a quick inventory of your own heart. There's a psalm that says, search me and know me, O God. We have to come and be honest. We have to come and be real with ourselves and be real with the Holy Spirit within us, real with Jesus, and say, I can't keep putting Origel on this. i got to go to the dentist, man. But the thing is, I can't put Orogel on something that I don't know is there. I know the pain's there. 
It wasn't until I looked in the mirror and saw that there's this like broken open tooth in my mouth. But it's not always like that. The brokenness isn't always like that. It doesn't always show itself and say, hey, here's your heartbrokenness. Sometimes it just looks like little sinful tendencies. Sometimes it looks like the way you're responding to people, the way that you don't text back to people. I don't text back people. So maybe I need to do a quick inventory. Terrible at texting back. But it's silly, but those are the big things that, that are going on inside that are revealed in small ways, small fruits that are due to a, a big, deeply rooted sense of brokenness in your heart. I'm going to be finished up a little early, but if you guys want to come up, worship team wants to come up. There's two things that, that, that really can help us take that deep heart inventory. And the first one is unexpected pain, and the second one is unanswered prayer. These two things are, are things that I've seen in my own life, like I've said before. There's pain in our lives that we didn't expect. Sometimes the brokenness is due to like this sense of, I went through something that wasn't my fault. I experienced something that I didn't ask for. And that pain, which is unexpected, becomes this deeply rooted brokenness that it happened to you when you were five. And how are you supposed to process your own heart when you're five years old, you know? Those are the, the, some of the smaller ways that, that we can look at ourselves and say, man, did I... Did I ever get unexpected pain as a kid? Or even now, is there pain that you've experienced that you don't understand, that you don't get, that God isn't answering the question to, that's making you feel broken and making you feel disconnected from God, making you feel like he's a threat and not a help, that he doesn't heal but he hurts? Are you blaming God for that unexpected pain? And the second was unanswered prayer. There's, there's so many things in this, in this category. There's expectations that aren't met. There's deliverance that wasn't seen. There's breakthrough that we didn't find. There's the husband I've been asking for for 13 years, and he's not here. And, and then there's our parents getting a divorce. And then there's abuse. And there's so many things that, that we wanted to, to work out. It didn't work out. It's unanswered prayer. I didn't get, I didn't get why this happened, and it's unanswered. That God needs to fill in the blank, but it feels like he hasn't yet. So just think about those two things. Is there unexpected pain in your life? Is there unanswered prayer in your life that's causing that brokenness, that's causing that disconnection from the Father? Because if you're in this room this morning, you do feel disconnected, and you feel like you're just doing a routine here today, and that you're singing songs because you have to, and you're reading your Bible because you have to, but you feel disconnected. These are just two ways that this could be happening, two reasons why this could be happening. And so I want you to look at yourself. Look at your heart right now. Have I experienced any of these things? Am I going through any of these things? Am I praying for something? I haven't seen it come to pass yet. So you guys will stand up as we get ready to close. What's keeping you from trusting Jesus for the healing that you need? There's, there's three things I want to share with you that I really feel like is going to help us come into this place of finding true heart-level healing. First of all, if you're a fighter, stop fighting and start forgiving. And what I mean by that is just forgive yourself and forgive other people. It's a lot easier said than done, right? Like you're like, Timothy, you don't know my story. You know what I've been through. No, but I've been through stuff, you know. I'm not going to act like I get you, but I've been through stuff. I'm still working on the forgive yourself, forgive others. Because it's a process. It's real life. 
but that's a starting point. If you want to stop fighting, lay down your weapons and submit to forgiveness. Forgive yourself. Forgive those around you. This is what Colossians 3.13 says. It says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So if you're a fighter, stop fighting and start forgiving. Maybe you're a runner. You just run away from your problems. You run away from your issues. You run away from the conflict and the problems going on in your life. Stop running and start receiving. Receive Jesus, his love, his grace, and his mercy. That's what Romans 10 says. It says, as scripture says, anyone who believes in me will never be put to shame. There's no shame in the presence of Jesus. There's no shame for brokenness. There's no shame for mistakes in the presence of a loving, holy God. He's not here to condemn you. He's here to love you. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. This is the truth right here. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's salvation every time. There's healing every time. Maybe you're uh, the frozen. Maybe you're Han Solo. Stop ignoring problems. Stop ignoring issues. Stop ignoring these sin signs. And start inviting. Invite the Holy Spirit to change you, to mend you, and to heal you. And this is where we close the, this portion of Matthew 9. So Jesus just says, I have the authority to forgive sin, right? So here's this paralytic. He's still laying there. He's probably thinking, oh, my sin's forgiven, but buddy, I still can't walk. So Jesus looks at the paralyzed man. He says, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. <laughs> There's no celebration. There's no jumping. He just picks up his mat and he heads out. But I was reading about it because that really got me. I was like, why is this guy grateful? Why is he so ungrateful for his healing? And I love, I think it was Charles Spurgeon, but he was talking about this passage. And he said, he said the reason why the man goes home is because that's the place where he went to celebrate. Because home, the place where you belong, the place that you're comfortable in, the place that you have no stress, no responsibility, home is where you go to enjoy your healing. So the man did the right thing. Verse 8 says, when the crowd saw this, they saw this man getting healed. We saw this man getting forgiven. It says they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. They weren't even amazed at the fact that this guy got up and walked. They were amazed at the fact that his sin was forgiven. And they looked at themselves and said, I can be forgiven as well. Before we start worshiping, I'm just going to share a story with you and I'm done. But, uh, you know, I brought up uh, pornography earlier and this is a family room, family space. When I was younger, I was exposed to that as a young, young kid. I think I was like 11 years old. And I spent a whole lot of my life fighting it and trying to manage it and trying to deal with it. And, and I thought that I was such a mess. I thought I was so messed up because I had this sin struggle. And I remember going to worship school and I remember having one of the coaches come to me and he said, hey, like, how many of you guys struggle with porn in this room? I raised a finger. <laughs> he said, how many of you feel like you're so broken and so messed up because you do that. How many feel so condemned because of it? Raise their hands. 
And he said, I want you to know that porn isn't your, your problem. He said, there's something going on in your heart that's causing it. And I was kind of like, wait, what does that mean? Like some kind of a philosophical. I was like, I don't know how to get that one. So then we go to this thing called, some of y'all know what this means, but it's a sozo session, which is just essentially get ready to cry for like three hours straight. And I go into this session with, with this one of the coaches who's, who's a, a licensed psychologist and another one of my coaches there. And uh, they start talking like, hey, so tell me about your childhood, man. You know, and like it's, it's always that easy, right, and innocent. Hey, just tell me about how you grew up. And three hours later, I am a weeping puddle of mess. But what he told me, I'll never forget. He looked at me, he said, Timothy, the fact that you struggle with porn um, doesn't make you a bad person. He said, porn is just something that's responding. That's you like breaking fruit out of your heart due to deeply rooted brokenness. Brokenness that, if I'm being honest with you guys, was due to childhood abuse. I experienced abuse when I was five years old. And I realized that that's where it started. And so my heart and my body and my mind was trying to figure out what this is, this unpure version of intimacy. And he said, bro, this is just the fruit, man. This doesn't define you. Your brokenness doesn't say who you are. Jesus says who you are. And after that, he prayed with me. He actually gave me spiritual gifts that the Lord was giving to me, and I took those things up. It changed my life. And I think God wants to do the same thing in our lives this morning. But we just have to start talking about it, you know? Especially as a guy, as a man, get it. You don't want to talk. Gotta be tough, I gotta be strong, gotta provide for my family. Whatever. And it doesn't have to be that dramatic. My story is very dramatic. So I want you guys to think, like, man, I gotta find something crazy going on. <laughs> don't feel that way. It could be something so small. Like, man, when I'm in conflict, I punch a wall. Like, okay, well, let's let's figure that out. Why are you so angry? You know, and dig it up, deroot it, take it out so God can put a new seed in there and so he can water it and grow it. Does that make sense? If you guys could put your hands out like this. We're just going to pray real quick before we go through with worship. But I just want to give you, in, in the name of Jesus, I want to give you permission to receive healing this morning. Maybe you're here today, and as we're talking about physical healing, maybe you're saying, I, but I have a physical need. I, I need healing physically. Bring it to Jesus. But maybe you're here, and you've been thinking this whole time, man, Lord, you're right. There's something going on that I'm not addressing. I heard a guy yesterday say this. He said, we all think that we can, we can do these secret sinful things and that God doesn't know, but God has a front seat in our heart. And what he sees is everything that we see. And what he experiences is everything that we experience. So God isn't unaware of these, these small fruits of brokenness. He sees it. But I just bless you with the, the right to your healing this morning. And I invite you to go before the Lord and pray for your healing. Physical, emotional, mental, whatever it may be, that you have a right to your healing this morning. And the healing is going to hurt. I'm not going to tell you it's not. I'm not going to tell you how hard it was to talk about my porn issues. 
how hard it was to remember being abused as a child, sexually abused. I can't tell you how hard that was, how hurtful it was to remember those things. But I'm telling you that hurt will always lead to healing in the name of Jesus. Hurt will always lead to healing in the name of Jesus. And I think some of you need to hear that today. So let him in. The hurt's worth it. The hurt of lying to someone and having to confess to it is worth it. Because guess what? Jesus has never disappointed. Let him reveal your brokenness so he can mend it and make you whole just like him. Receive your healing. I pray in your name, Jesus, that all over this room there would just be a right to healing. That we would all receive the rightful healing that you bring to us through your cross, through your salvation. Show us that we're not whole without you. Show us that we're out of control. We're not in control. We are out of control. And we need you to come in and control the environment. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to go through a process to be forgiven of our sin. Thank you that we don't have to, to feel convicted and sad enough, and we don't have to pray hard enough, and we don't have to have more faith and more faith and more faith in order to get our healing, but you ask for a broken and contrite heart. You don't ask for sacrifice. You ask for a broken and contrite spirit. So give that within us, Holy Spirit, so that we might receive the divinely authorized healing that only you can bring Jesus. We love you and we praise you and we receive your healing this morning. In your name we pray. City Lights are so grateful to have worshiped with you today. We are a church that exists to be followers of Jesus who are devoted to building family, blessing neighborhoods, and bringing good news to the nations. For more information on our church, visit our website at www.citylights.cc and give us a follow on Instagram or Facebook. We hope you can join us again soon.